0: want to invite uh, our children up through third grade to Children's Church. Um, Teacher will meet you at the back there. And uh, while they go, let's open us in a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, you have sent us to the ends of the earth, as we just sang. And uh, we, we can do that with confidence because the end of, ends of the earth are yours. They're all under your authority. They're all under your power. And so when you tell your people to go, you don't send them into unknown territory, to wild lands where your sovereign control doesn't reign. And so, Lord, grant us confidence to go where you've sent us. And, Lord, I pray that this morning as we look at um, frogs and flies, uh, Lord, that we would see how your hand works all things together for our good and for your glory. Lord, Holy Spirit, show us that now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So I kind of gave the hint away. The, the sermon, the title is actually the outline. I think it worked out pretty well. Frogs, Flies, and the First Three Plagues. So title, outline, all rolled into one. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the two additional plagues that we see today. And then at the uh, after we talk about them and just kind of go through them real quick, then I want to go and look at the first three plagues rolled together. Um, and I'll explain why when we get there, why, we, why they fit together like that. So uh, I, I started in, in, at the end of chapter 7, um, seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So you remember last week, the Lord struck the Nile and turned water into blood. And it wasn't just the tributaries, the ponds, the pools, even in, in containers that carried water away from the Nile, it all turned into blood. And what uh, Moses is saying here is that seven full days have passed. So it's been seven days since that event happened. Now, uh, I I mentioned last week a couple of possible explanations of how the the Nile turned into blood. One being God miraculously turned it into actual physical blood. Another theory was that there was uh, a landslide further uh, up the Nile in Ethiopia with its red clay, and it slid into the Nile, and so it washed down. So if that happened it would take a while for that water to run through. The the Nile runs, but it's gonna take a while for that water to clear and and the fresh water to come down. Or uh, another possible explanation, it was a a red algae bloom that just took over the whole Nile. Um, If that's the case, it takes a while for the algae to die and and sink and and float away. Um, One of the things to note about the the plague of the the, uh, Nile turning to blood is there's no end date on it. So you, you look at it and you go, did it just stop? that day? Did it last until, Egypt, or until Israel left Egypt? We don't know. Um, and we'll, we'll touch on some of these, they don't tell us what happened kind of things uh, when we get to the last portion of this. But that's what, that's what happened. So it's possible at this point, the river is still contaminated as this happens. So the next thing that happens is God tells uh, Moses, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go to serve me. And this time, if he refuses, tell him that his country will be plagued with frogs. Kind of an odd threat, isn't it? It, it just seems strange. Are, are frogs lethal? There are a few poisonous frogs in like rainforests and stuff, but the frogs of the Nile are just, they're just frogs. One of the funny things is uh, the Hebrews don't have a whole bunch of experience with frogs. Um, The only place the word is used is here and in a couple of psalms that talk about this event. That's the only place you see the word frog. And so one of the thoughts is the word is what's called an onomatopoeia. It sounds like what it describes, like we would call them croakers because, you know, kind of sounds like croak, croak. So um, the Hebrew word doesn't sound like croak. It doesn't sound like ribbit either. Do frogs sound like ribbit to anybody? I don't know where we came up with that. Uh, But it it has kind of this croaking sound to it. So the thought is maybe it's an onomatopoeia. It's it's, uh, trying to describe what what they're hearing more than what the creature is. So the threat is that they will be overrun with, with frogs. And so he says, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, the canals, the pools. Now, the reason I brought up the first plague is because... Didn't it talk about the rivers, the canals, the pools then? And so now he stretches his hand out over those things, holding that staff again. And this time what happens is the frogs come streaming out of that. And it's not just a few frogs. They cover the land. They they cover everything. So Aaron did it, and frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And then this is almost comical. The magicians did the same by their secret arts. So look, magicians, if you want to be helpful here, Make them go away. Don't add to the numbers. We don't need more frogs, you guys. Um, and Pharaoh's response to that is very different this time. You remember last week, they did the same miracle. They turned the river in, or the water into blood. And that seemed to trigger Pharaoh to say, well, your God's no better than ours. He can do it. But this time when they replicate it, it doesn't affect him. That doesn't seem to click with him at all. So what happens is Pharaoh calls Moses in. He calls in Moses and Aaron and he says, plead with the Lord. Now we're beginning to see a little bit of a shift here. Before it was, I, I don't know who the Lord is. I don't have to listen to him. Now he's like, I, I'm not going to go to my magicians and ask him to take care of it. Moses, plead with the Lord. So this is his response as he recognizes this is something very big. And, um, and he, say, he makes a promise. If you will do that, if God will take the frogs away from me, I'll let you go to sacrifice to the Lord. How well does it work when we, when we try to make deals with God? If you do this, I'll do that. God usually doesn't, doesn't follow along with those kind of things. It, it's unilateral. God says, this is what I'm going to do. That's what's going to happen. Um, so Moses, or Pharaoh doesn't understand his relationship to Yahweh yet. He still thinks he can negotiate with him. But out of his grace... Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I will plead for you and your servants and your people and have the frogs cut off from the land and your houses and only be left in the Nile. He's throwing down a prophetic gauntlet. He says, okay, you tell me when they should be gone. When do you want? You tell me what time and, and I'll go ask the Lord and you'll see, is this from God or is this just coincidental? Now, I'm not going to cover this as we go through the plagues because it gets really tiresome. But there is some critical theory that tries to tie all of these plagues to natural events in the course of Egyptian history. Um, For example, the river is flooded with this clay that came from Ethiopia, and it filled the, the Nile. So of course the frogs jump out of it. It's a contaminated river. So yeah, they'd come flying out of there. It gets worse. Hang on. They contracted anthrax because that would be in the soil. The bacteria anthrax would be in the soil. So, of course, they died a week later or a couple of days later. And, and yeah, of course, Then the next thing that showed up were a bunch of gnats. There's a bunch of dead frogs everywhere. And so this is kind of how they go. One little point, anthrax kills everybody. It doesn't just kill frogs. You remember after 9-11 when we invaded uh, Afghanistan, There was a handful of envelopes sent to uh, um, journalists around the uh, the nation with white powder in it and it contained anthrax. It wasn't to wipe out frogs at our journalists' headquarters. It's a deadly disease. So you can say, yeah, anthrax killed the frogs, but it didn't kill everything else. You you can't get away from the miraculous here. There's just no escaping it. I'm not gonna go with those naturalistic explanations at all anymore, they don't help. This is a miracle. What happened was Aaron held out his staff and frogs showed up. So how did that happen right when he held out his staff? Because it's a miracle. Why did only the frogs die in the land? Because it's a miracle. Why was it that the frogs who had anthrax died on the land, but not in the river where the anthrax was? Because it's a miracle. The naturalistic explanations don't work. So that's what happens is the frogs um, die out on the land, but they don't die in the river it would be ecological disaster if all the frogs in Egypt died, if they were all gone, because they serve a a point, you know, the the, um, Hakuna Matata, the circle of life, right? They serve a purpose. They eat the flies and then the the birds eat the frogs and and then the lions eat the birds or something. I forget how that goes. But it would be disaster if the frogs were gone. It would would be ecological disaster. So isn't that gracious of God to say, they're gonna die in the land, but in the river, they're fine that you still have frogs because you need them. So for some reason, Pharaoh says tomorrow. Uh, I read one commentary that said, well, tomorrow is a Hebra- Hebraicism for any, as, se- as soon as possible. I couldn't find that anywhere. <laughs> I think what it was was Pharaoh is still trying to maintain control and still trying to say, I'm in charge here, so make it happen tomorrow because that's what I decided. Um, were the frogs a threat or were they just a nuisance? Was, was God just kinda you know like putting a little prick in the side and just bothering them a little bit? Well, think about this. We, uh, we live in a very fortunate time. We have grocery stores. We have canned goods. We have freezers in our house. How close are you to the food chain? You are well and truly removed. There are people who think that chickens are born in plastic uh, containers. That we have no connection with the land. In this time, at this place, if you didn't prepare food that morning, you didn't eat that day, right? You had, to, you had to get the food. You had to prepare the food. You had very little options for storing the food. So if you didn't prepare it that day, you died. Or you didn't die, but you didn't eat. So where did these frogs wind up? They went into the houses, into the bedrooms. They went into the ovens and into the kneading bowls, so I just picture somebody coming home, and, and uh, an Egyptian coming home, man, it was a hard day of beating Hebrews. What do you got to eat, sweetheart? Here, have a loaf of bread. Picks up, takes a local loaf of bread, and takes a bite. Wow, this is really good. What's that crunchy bit in the middle? It, it tastes like frog. It, this was not just a minor interruption. This was a possible threat because you can't prepare food if you've got f- frogs in all the food. It tastes like frog. Also... Imagine if you're trying to conduct business and you've got frogs everywhere. Have you heard frogs? They're loud. They, so even if they're scared and they aren't croaking right around you, in the general vicinity, these, these frogs are crowd, loud. They're croaking loudly. You can't conduct business if you can't communicate. So you gotta yell over top of all the frogs. So even the noise of the croakers is gonna be a problem. This isn't just a minor inconvenience. This is actually a threat. This is a huge problem. That's why Pharaoh is so desperate. He will call Aaron and Moses and say, make this go away. So I kind of jumped ahead a little bit. What they said was that um, I will plead for you and your servants that the frogs be cut off. What does cut off mean? I think Pharaoh, because I know I was thinking they're just going to hop backwards right back into the Nile and it's going to be great. They'll just be gone. No, he cut them off. They died. They died everywhere. The place is littered with dead frogs. Have you ever smelled a dead frog? When I was a kid, a young kid, we had a really wet spring. And so by the time the summer was starting, there were tadpoles everywhere. And so me and my friends went and found anything we could put tadpoles in. And we brought them home because tadpoles were cool. And I put them in the utility room, in the sink, in our utility room, and they died because they're not supposed to be in containers. They're supposed to be out in the wild. And so I poured them down the drain in the utility sink, and they didn't go down the drain in the utility sink. That room reeked for about a week. So when they talk about frogs stinking up these dead frogs, I'm like, yeah, man. (laughs) The smell, even though I was probably eight or 10 at the time, the smell comes back real strong. It's a horrible smell. So even in God's mercy, he's reminding them of what's going on here. I'll cut off these these frogs, but you're not going to forget about them for a while. So it says they piled them up. What do you do with dead frogs? You pile them up, I guess. And then after it's all done, Pharaoh promised, I'll let you go worship the Lord. And it says, but when Pharaoh saw that he had a break, he had a respite, he had an interruption, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. A couple of things to note there. It wasn't the magicians duplicating the miracle that caused him to change his heart. It was God's mercy when he removed the frogs, when he saw, okay, we we can get back to life. Then he goes, well, then I'm not letting you go. God's got his, his hand is off of me, so too bad, you're stuck. He hardened his heart. God said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And yet the scriptures say Pharaoh hardened his heart. So which one is it? Yes, it's both, of course. And we talked about that. God's miracles that he is choosing to do amongst Pharaoh would harden Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh would harden his heart because he would look at the logical conclusion. There's frogs. I asked the Lord to remove them this day. They all died. Therefore, the logical conclusion here is the Lord is God. And his response is, well, I don't have to listen to him. So he's hardening his own heart as God is doing these miracles in his presence and harden his heart. And then the last part, as the Lord had said. This is important. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the impassibility of God. God doesn't have passions, he doesn't have fits of rage, he doesn't fly off the handle, he doesn't lose control because he's angry. So, when he sees Pharaoh do this, when Pharaoh looks him in the face and goes, No, God does not fly into a rage and start doing horrible things. God has said from the beginning, This is exactly what's going to be happening. And Moses is reminding us as we progress through these these plagues, God is totally, firmly, absolutely in control. He will carry out his purposes. So that's the first one. Um, This one has an end date, doesn't it? The frogs died. We knew when this one was over. So the next one is even shorter. It's even, even a shorter little telling of the story. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. Uh, The word gnats there, again, Hebrew doesn't have a really strong etymology for insect names. Um, The the word here is little flying things. So what were they? Were they gnats? Well, they might be. The King James Version says lice. Um, There's a footnote in uh, one of the Bibles that says uh, mosquitoes. Um, One person said, uh, kind of affirmed very, very surely, they're scarabs. It's like... (laughs) They're little flying things, <laughs> I mean, that's what they are. So whatever they are, they're just, they're just little flying s- critters. And so when he struck the, du- the dirt, up come all of these flies and they cover everything, they're on man and beast, they're everywhere. No announcement to Pharaoh that this is gonna happen, no let my people go, simply bam, and here, here they come. Now the, the important part of this story is, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce the gnats, but they could not. They couldn't do it. So there were gnats on man and beast, and the magician said to Pharaoh, they get it. This is the finger of God. It could be translated, this is the finger of a God. Notice it's not the finger of Yahweh. It's just, this is a God at work. Um, And Pharaoh's heart's hardened, and he wouldn't listen to him. This, This idea that this is a finger of a God is really super important. One of the temptations within evangelicalism is to find a God to pin on every single one of the plagues. And a bunch of the commentaries I read said, it's really hard to do that. (laughs) Depending on who you talk to, you get different gods. This one is really hard to do because there's no flying insect god. The reason that person said there's scarabs is because there's one god with the head of a scarab, but a scarab isn't a little flying thing. And so they say, well, it's, it's the god of the earth because he struck the earth. Yeah, but it's not the earth. It's the dust of the earth, and there's no god of the dust. So I think at this point, we got to go, you know what? There's no God involved in this. And really, doesn't that fit with the text? Because the magicians were able to duplicate the Nile turning to blood because they had a a couple of gods, three gods of the Nile. And they were able to reproduce the frogs because there's a god with a frog head. So they they can appeal to their, their magic arts and their gods and stuff, but they get to the gnats. We can't do it. We don't have a god to line up with this one. We have no god to appeal to. So their response suddenly makes sense. They go, wait a minute. We don't have a God of gnats. This is a finger of a God doing this. There's, there's a God involved in this, Pharaoh, one that we're not familiar with. And so that, that's the problem there, is there's no God, bam. But Pharaoh, will he listen? No, he has hardened his heart. So those are the two plagues. What I want to back up now and do is look at the three plagues. So the blood from last week, the uh, frogs, and then I'm going to call them flies, They're gnats, little flying things, whatever. These three things go together. Um, When we look at the, the plagues especially, you have to remember there is the historical event of the Exodus. It happened in space and time. There was an event at some point in history in Egypt where all of these plagues came on Egypt, where Israelites who were enslaved there, marched out of the land. Pharaoh was was destroyed in the Red Sea. All of those things actually happened. What we have in the Bible is not a documentary of that event. It is not a history book recounting all the players and everything that was going on in it. What we have in the Bible is God's divine commentary on that historical event. And so when we look at this, this will become apparent in a moment when I explain the outline of these plagues. So that's not to say the plagues didn't happen. Some of the critical scholars go, well, since this is some literary form, therefore, that must not be real. It was, it was legends that were gathered together. There's no reason to believe that. But when we read this, what we have to remember is God wrote a book. He wrote it down. And so he didn't write the, the, uh, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, which is this detailed, big, lengthy explanation of everything that happened in the Roman Empire, God is saying, this is what I want you to know about these things. Remember 1 Corinthians 10, these were written down for your instruction. So God wrote these down in a specific way for our instruction. So here's how the plagues work. There are actually three groups of three plagues and the Passover. And there's a literary structure to these. So let, let, let's look at this. The blood, the frogs, and the gnats is the first group. There, is there a forewarning on the f- blood? yes. Pharaoh, let my people go. Is there a forewarning on the frogs? Yes. If you don't do this, frogs are going to come up. Is there a forewarning on the gnats? Nope. Just happens. When did this happen? For the blood, it happened in the morning, right? Moses went out in the morning and he met Pharaoh. There's no timeline given for the frogs and none for the gnats. What was Moses' instruction with the blood? In the morning, go out and stand by the Nile. So when Pharaoh comes out, you'll see him. The frogs go to Pharaoh and say, the gnats, nothing. That structure is repeated in all three of the next three. So for example, next week we'll see the flies. Yes, there's a forewarning given in the morning, station yourself and speak to Pharaoh. Uh, The one after that, livestock. Yes, there's a warning. There's no time given, go to Pharaoh. And the final one, the boils, none, uh, no forewarning, uh, no time given, and uh, no instruction. Just, it happens repeated over and over again for the next three also and what happens with each one is the first one is given some lengthy detail the second one is shortened a bit and the third one is just a real quick telling of the story so that's the literary structure that Moses gave us and then when we get to the Passover the Passover explodes it's a big long narrative it's the cap on all of this Moses gave it to us this way on purpose he wrote it this way on purpose So one of the things that I think, I can't prove it, but I think is when we see the gnats, um, the text says, go strike the earth and the gnats will come up and it happened. I think we're supposed to take with us the framework that we've already had, which is go tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh's gonna say no, go do this and then it's gonna happen. I think we're supposed to see that. Why do I say that? Because if, Aaron went, got, woke up one morning, and, and Moses said, go hit the dirt. I'm in the military. That means something very different. That means <laughs> go run somewhere. If he says, go, go strike the dust of the earth, what if Aaron did it in his backyard where nobody could see, and he did it, and poof, there's, there's flies everywhere. The magicians knew that this was the finger of God. They knew who this came from. They tried to replicate it again. If they didn't know that it was Moses and Aaron doing it, they wouldn't have any idea. They might just be, you know, you know then we're back to the naturalistic explanation. Well, there's a bunch of dead frogs everywhere, and of course we're covered in flies. But they knew enough to try to replicate it and to fail to replicate it, and then to tell Pharaoh, this is a finger of God. So I think there's more actually what happened than what's written down. But the way it's told, it's, it's in summary form. Blam, this happened. So that's kind of the outline of the, uh, the plagues. So now let's try to put these together and try to understand what's going on. Because you remember last week with the river of blood, we talked about blood as a sign of judgment and as a sign of redemption. So let's put it together now and see if we can't make sense out of frogs. Why frogs? That's so weird. Why frogs? Many of the commentators just thought that was funny. Um, I don't think it was terribly funny. One of the things that we can do, um, I said that not, not every plague lines up with a god but the frogs do. And one of the commentators said that although perhaps we cannot make a direct connection between all 10 plagues and the specific gods of the Egyptian pantheon, such a connection seems justified here. So there was a Greek god, or Greek god, an Egyptian god named Hecate, I think that's how you pronounce it, and she was the goddess of life. Uh, Early on in in Egyptian mythology, she was the one that breathed life into people. So one god formed him out of dirt, and then she came along and breathed life into them. By the time we get to the Middle Kingdom, which is just before the Exodus, remember the Exodus we said was around 1460 BC? Just before that, she becomes closely and tightly associated with childbirth, especially the later times of childbirth. Like She would be the one that they would pray to to have a safe child born. Um, There's a possibility that she became associated with midwives. So if this is what we're supposed to understand... Now, hold on for a second. Last week I went off about don't read a God there if the Bible doesn't say it. Can you get to the same thing without knowing about Hecate? I think you can because where did the frogs wind up? Not only in food bowls and ovens, but also in Pharaoh's house, in his bedroom, and on his bed. So there's this hint of fertility also all of these frogs multiplied abundantly. So you kind of get this flavor of, of, um, of fruitfulness and, and abundancy and, and reproducing overwhelmingly from the frogs. So I think we can fairly say that that's what's going on there is it has to do with that reproduction. Um, and then the gnats, what, what's up with the gnats? Why flying insects? Um, I heard a, a sermon by um, Ligon Duncan. If you don't know who Ligon is, he's the uh, chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary in, in uh, Florida. He's the pastor of uh, um, uh, Presbyterian Church in Jackson, uh, Mississippi, uh, common speaker at Together for the Gospel and Gospel Coalition, uh, pretty well-known uh, speaker. He did a sermon on this, and what he said is it's possible that it wasn't that the dust of the earth turned into flies, because if all of the dust of the earth, which is what it says, turned into flies. What would be left in Egypt? A bunch of rock. But that's not what's there. It's all sand. He said what might be, What the Hebrew might be hinting at here is a comparison between the amount of flies and the dust of the earth. Because the, the term, the dust of the earth, is used to talk about just an overwhelming, uncountable number. And so it could be that the, the dust didn't turn into flies, but it was being compared to that. That, that was the idea. So let's put all these together, the river, the, um, the frogs, and the flies. When was the last time, before last week, when was the last time we heard about the Nile? What happened at the Nile? Moses was found there because Pharaoh had said, if you find a Hebrew boy, you pick him up and throw him in the Nile. Now, did the Nile turn to blood because... Drowning is a bloody event. It's not particularly bloody, but it was the Nile that was going to be used to destroy God's people. That was where these children would be drowned. What about the frogs? Well, if Hecate is what's going on here, then this is the midwives. And when was the last time we heard about midwives? We met two midwives who got named when Pharaoh didn't. And Pharaoh said, if you see a baby and it's a boy, you snap its neck. And now what happens? The God of the, the midwife is, is judged. Now becomes this huge judgment on the nation. So what about the flies? What about the gnats? Well, there's two places that Moses himself has used that term dust of the earth before. Genesis, both are in Genesis. Genesis 13, when God is talking to Abram before he renames him Abraham, he says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So if, that, if one can count the dust of the earth your offspring also will be counted. The other place was when he was talking to Jacob, when he had set that ladder up over him. He promised Jacob, he said, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the east and to the west, to the north and the south, and in you and in your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done as I have promised. So the picture of the dust of the land in Moses' telling has to do with the descendants of Abraham becoming as numerous as the stars, as numerous as the sands of the sea. That's the same phrase. Now, I I was telling Dan this morning, I get really nervous about some of this stuff because I'm like, I don't want to be clever. (laughs) I really don't want to be clever with the text. I don't want to find stuff that's not there. But what I'm trying to do with this is read it in the context of Moses' writing. So please don't look and say... Uh, If we see any little flying things anywhere else in the Bible, it's talking about this. There's no Bible codes that that flow through the whole thing like that. We have to read it in its context. And its context, in this case, is Genesis and Exodus. And I think there's some warrant for this, this idea that the dust of the earth is talking about the multiplication of his people. Because what was Pharaoh's original beef with Israel? They're multiplying. They're becoming too numerous. They're going to take over. They're more powerful than we are. So look at those first three plagues. The Nile, where he tried to drown the children. The midwives, where he tried to kill the children. And the promise that the children are just going to multiply. And they're going to get in everything. There's no place that his children are not going to go. They're going to be everywhere. And Moses, or, uh, Pharaoh is opposing that. Pharaoh is saying, no, I don't want that to happen. That's a threat to me. It's a threat to my authority. So there's no God for the Nats. Because the children of Abraham, how do you become a child of Abraham? By faith in Jesus Christ. There's no God that's going to dominate that. That's the work, that's the finger of God, just as the magician said. That's the work of God in our lives. So I think this is what's going on, is I think it's painting this picture of God, what God is doing in redemption. These three clumped together. He's saying, I'm going to multiply the children of Abraham across the globe. There won't be a place, there won't be a child of Abraham. They're going to be everywhere. And when you try to oppose it, I'm going to oppose you. So think about this. I'm so glad Rami. we sang just the perfect song right before the message. I was just pinching myself because Rami and I talked on Tuesday and I was telling him frogs and flies. What am I going to do? <laughs> How do I find Jesus in frogs and flies? This is going to be impossible. And it didn't hit me about those connections between those three plagues until last night. So Rami had already set the music. They practiced Thursday. And it kind of materializes on my brain on Saturday. I love the way the Lord puts our worship service together. It just always blows my mind. Um, so we're gonna write a book and tell people how to do this. And, and it's one page, just trust God. <laughs> you know, he's, he's got this. Yeah, short book, we're, we're not gonna make any money off of it. So this is that idea of God is gonna multiply his people and spread them across the earth. They're gonna go everywhere. The Pew study just this year said that once again, Christians are the most persecuted people in the world. Now, it's hard for us to believe that because here in America, we got it pretty well. We get some opposition, we get teased, we get, you know, slandered, but not what our brothers and sisters across the globe are facing. Um, overall, in in all the world, Christianity is the most persecuted group yet again. And yet, is Christianity dying out? Still not, still growing, It's still be, it's still healthy. This is a pattern God established all the way back in the Exodus. It was a pattern we saw in the first century as as, um, Caesar tried to execute Christians for being Christians. It didn't make the church shrink. It made it blossom and grow. It spread throughout all the earth. So when we see this, we got to remember, this is what God has promised to Abraham, and he's going to do it. He continues to do it. This is a promise from Romans chapter 6. Thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient to the heart, or from the heart, to the standard of teaching which you were committed. And being set free from sin, you've become slaves to righteousness. What is God doing in the Exodus? He is liberating slaves. What has He done in us in Jesus Christ? He has liberated slaves. Now, He made them slaves of Himself, but I'd rather be slaves of a good boss than a bad one, one who wants to. to, just make your life miserable. I'd rather be the slave of the one who loves you and would die for you. What, what slave owner would ever do that? He's, he's setting slaves free. And, and in, later in, in chapter six, he says, But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So this is what God is doing. He's setting these slaves free. He pictured it in the Exodus. And he carries it forward throughout history. The Exodus is repeated as a major event throughout the Bible on purpose. It is a huge paradigm. It's, God tells a story and it happens in reality. He, he, he tells a parable and it happens in actual reality to real people in real places and times. He did the Exodus to show what he was going to continue to do throughout history. It didn't change. It didn't go away. It didn't vaporize when Jesus comes and we go, oh, we forget all of that stuff. Sorry, Marcion, we keep the Old Testament. This is what God is telling us. So what are we supposed to do with this? Well, what we're seeing here is, is um, oh, by the way, when God does and tells these things, there's a number of ways this can be applied and approached. There's a number of things that are happening here. There's a bunch of things that I saw I just didn't even bring up. Um, not because they weren't true or accurate, it's just I was focusing on this one thing. So if you've heard other takes on this, they're probably right. Um, when Ligon Duncan spoke on this, he was speaking primarily about the sovereignty of God, more than this theme of the spread of the gospel. But are the sovereignty of God and the spread of the gospel at odds? No, this gospel spreads because God said so. So what we're seeing here is God is working in Egypt despite powers and... And authorities and principalities, he is doing what he said he would do. So he opposes Pharaoh, this, this ruling power, this ruling authority. He opposes the magicians. They can't duplicate his, his miracle. And then the demonic forces behind all of that, these fake gods that they worship, God is opposing all of those. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly what happens in the New Testament, despite the Jews opposing the Christians, despite the Romans trying to, to arrest them and persecute him and burn him down, despite the powers and principalities, Satan tempting Jesus, he delivers his people anyway. This is a constant echoing theme that goes throughout scripture is our exodus. This is why I think in, um, in a, black churches, in historically black churches coming from slavery, they begin with the exodus. That is their, their beginning paradigm. And you think, well, that's not right. You should start with Jesus. But you know what? The Bible starts with the Exodus. So I think they're on to something there. And boy, wouldn't that sing to your heart if you were a slave? To hear God coming in and rescuing these, Egyptian, or these uh, Hebrew slaves. So that would connect very well with them. And I think there's a biblical reason behind that. It is the theme of the Old Testament. It comes up over and over and over again. God will remind him uh, his people, I am the one who delivered you from Egypt. I'm the one who led you out of the house of slavery. He'll say it over and over again. We're supposed to remember that. What we get, though, and I'm taking it again, 1 Corinthians 10 is kind of my template on this, is we get the fullness. These things have been written down for you upon whom the end of the age has come. So these are for us, but they're echoed throughout history. They're they're a major theme, a recurring theme in the Bible is our deliverance from slavery. So what do we do with it? Well, go be gnats, I think is the best thing. Just go be a gnat. Where did the gnats go in Egypt? Everywhere. They were on man and beast. They were over everything. Now, some translations or some of the commentators wanted to make them biting insects. Does there any mention of anybody being bit in this? No. The way Moses wrote it for us, it's just not that they bite and annoy people. It's that they got everywhere. And isn't that what we're called to do as the church? Is there a culture? Is there a people group? Is there a corner of the globe where we're not supposed to be? Where God said, I, I'm, I'm sending you, first of all, as my witness in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, except for that place. He didn't say that. He, he sent us everywhere. We are supposed to be like the dust of the earth, uncountable, Abraham's offspring spreading everywhere. And it's not just geographical locations. It's what do you do in your regular life? What do you do on a Monday through Saturday when you're not in this building? Go be a gnat there. Be who you have been called to be. You have been delivered. You have been rescued from slavery. So in that place, be who you are. Be a slave of Christ in that location, in that place. Wherever it is, whatever you're doing, whatever your calling is, that's where you're called to be. So I think that's the final application here is, is like we sang, you know, Lord, send us everywhere. Send us to the, wherever you're gonna send us. And, and it's not just geography, it's not wholly because you go across salt water, it's, it's send us wherever you send us. That might be Lancaster. That might be somewhere here in the Antelope Valley or it might be China or Indonesia or North Korea. Wherever we're sent, that's what we're supposed to be. So go be a gnat. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that um, we've been given this image, this echo, this message throughout Scripture repeated over and over and over again, that you're going to bless Abraham's offspring. You're going to multiply them as the stars of the heavens, as the sands of the sea, as the dust of the earth, uncountable numbers. And, Lord, that Abraham's seed will be a blessing to the nations. And so, Lord, as we go, as, as we are spreading throughout the land, as we, we go into all the places that you send us, uh, Lord, may we bring that seed, that, that offspring of, of Abraham, who Paul tells us in Galatians 3 is Jesus Christ. May we bring him so that he might be a blessing to the nations. And Lord, um, I I look forward to the next three plagues to see what you're going to teach us there. What's the next part of your redemptive plan that you'll unveil as you bring further judgments on Egypt and further blessings to your people? Lord, show us. Help us to anticipate, to look forward what you're going to have to say. And Lord, be glorified in all these. We ask in Christ's name, amen.